0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happiest Mother Podcast. This week, I am so excited to welcome Casey Davis to the show. Casey is a licensed therapist, author, speaker, and the person behind the mental health platform Struggle Care. You may know Casey from her wildly popular TikTok page called Domestic Blisters. Today, Casey is here to talk about her new book, How to Keep House While Drowning A Gentle Approach to Cleaning and Organizing. Casey's book sits right at the intersection of care work and care tasks and mental health because there is a relationship between the two. And sometimes we are doing really well and we're feeling well and we have capacity to take on tasks and they don't feel daunting. Other times we are struggling either with low mood or otherwise, and even the smallest care tasks or even personal hygiene tasks can feel like they take just monumental effort. In this episode today, Casey and I discuss laziness. We unpack that word and offer a reframe for you that is breaking of shame and guilt. We also discuss how a clean house or a quote unquote kept house often reflects more on a mother than it does a father. And what does that mean and how does that weave into our worth and our identity in this role? And then we get into some really practical pieces where Casey shares with us her five things tidying method and ways she focuses on making her house functional instead of just organized in a way that is aesthetically pleasing, but might not be the most functional. I've been trying to get Casey on the show for months. I took in her book in like one and a half sittings and have made some major changes in my life and approach to cleaning from her skills and her tools. You're gonna love this conversation with Casey Davis. Do you ever feel like you just wanna hide in a dark, quiet closet? You are not alone. As a mom of three boys, I know what it's like to feel overstimulated, touched out, and easily triggered. As moms, we often don't get the chance to turn down the noise, walk away, or find a moment to regroup and recharge our batteries. But we don't have to live in constant overload. We can learn the skills to manage our own response to the noise, mess, and touch. We can stay calm and grounded so that we can be more present and connected without feeling like we're always in fight or flight mode. Dr. Reem, Psych Mommy, and I created a workshop to help you learn those skills, a workshop called Managing Overstimulation in Motherhood. You'll learn why you get so overstimulated, how to recognize your triggers, and the simple changes you can make in your environment that can help. We'll also teach you practical tips to keep calm and walk through your own personalized overstimulation plan so you can manage your reactions in and out of the moment. With lifetime access to the recording, you can watch at your own pace and revisit the workshop whenever you need. It's time to take charge of your senses instead of letting them take charge of you. Visit happyasamother.co slash overstimulation to register today for instant access That's happyasamother.co slash overstimulation. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Casey, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today between TikTok and motherhood and writing and release of your book and content creation world would shine. know a little bit about. It's a lot. And so the fact that you've carved out time in your schedule, it means a lot. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. Doing podcasts is one of my favorite things. So I'm excited to be here.
0: I came across you, your TikTok, originally from a client of mine who I work with, like with clients in the postpartum period. She was a mom- home with three kids. She was home with like her littlest baby on maternity leave, had three kids at home and had come across your reframing of care tasks and how to like organize her house in a more functional way. And she's like, you got to check her out. And so I've been following along ever since. It's got to be about a year ago now. And your stuff has really taken off and it's such a necessary shift in the way that we see some of these things. So we're going to dive into it today. But I'm really curious, like, How did your therapy and training and mom life lead you to the TikTok content creation world? How does that happen?
1: So I was diagnosed with ADHD last year and it made so many things in my life make sense. And so whenever people are like, how did you ever like think about this sort of stuff around care tasks? And my answer was always like, I actually like think about everything really deeply The difference is I got locked inside my house for two years during the pandemic and had nothing to think about except laundry and dishes and how hard it was and why it was hard. And I was posting a little bit on TikTok. And when I started posting about cleaning, and I started getting this feedback of like, this is the only cleaning advice that's ever worked for me. Hmm. And it just sort of like piqued that interest of, how there's so much out there about like home care, lifestyle stuff, but it's also aspirational. It's all very kind of Martha Stewart, Better Homes and Gardens, or it's like an influencer that's kind of giving you a very aesthetic look at motherhood or their home. And with my background as a therapist, I just became really interested at that intersection of, you know, mental health and our home, and thinking back to when I used to work for like inpatient facilities and even outpatient facilities, we would rarely really talk to clients about their homes. And if we did, it was always very kind of one-dimensional.
2: Hmm.
1: It's like somebody just left me alone with my hyperfocus inside my house for two years. <laughs> and I just was like, you know, there's got to be a better way to talk to people who are struggling, whether it's mental health or chronic illness, disability, people who are postpartum or in bereavement, like talking to them because there's so much shame that we carry. And I think it's particularly strong with women and particularly strong with mothers. Yeah. So much shame that we carry when we feel like we can't, quote unquote, stay on top of our house.
0: Yeah. And when we are scrolling TikTok and we see there's like these ASMR videos of people like packaging all their fridge things into clear containers and putting them like precisely in the fridge and it's so clean and so organized. And then I think about me being home with three young children covered in spit up like haven't showered in five days. And that is so far out of reach. And if that is our expectation of ourselves, imagine that shame, that feeling of like we're failing because that's just not realistic or attainable when we're home
1: with children. And it's really hard to explain why. Mm. Why is it hard? You you know, people will say things like, well, it only takes two seconds to pick up after yourself. You know, it only takes two seconds to do this, two seconds to do that, and it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't been in it that like I literally don't have two seconds sometimes.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: My kids are two and four now, and I will say like I feel like I'm getting to the stage now where I'm like reclaiming my two seconds, right here and there, right? Yes. But especially when they were younger, they were under that. I remember because my husband is a lawyer, and so he often has to work really long hours. I remember like learning how to give both of the kids a bath at the same time. And I have this like stark picture of rocking my baby. And she is clean and she's in her pajamas. And the toddler is like sitting in her bed, like, you know, at least sort of preoccupied for the moment. And I'm rocking the baby. And I am butt- Ass naked. Mm-hmm. Because in the process of like getting them both clean, <laughs> like the easiest, I have like a deep tub, the easy thing for me to do is like strip down, get in there with them, clean them both up. But the process of like getting them out, and I don't even remember what it was. It's like, you know, they're they're crying or they're whining or they're, there's something happening, and and you're just moving so quickly when you have a baby that is crying that I literally didn't even have the seconds to dress myself. Mm -hmm. And there was Mm -hmm. no part of that, like the next few like steps in the routine where I would have had those seconds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your story, as I was going through your book and it's called how to keep a house while drowning, a gentle approach to cleaning and organizing. When I was reading it, I saw a lot of my story in your story. I was diagnosed with ADHD like a couple months ago. In the taking my son, who's neurodivergent, to be assessed, found out that I was ADHD. And also, TikTok sniffed me out. The algorithm pretty much confirmed for me as well. And so, um, my invisible load series in this whole platform has been birthed out of that because I went through some postpartum depression and anxiety after having three consecutive children back to back in the span of like three and a half, four years, and just found like, everything felt paralyzing. Everything felt hard. There was so much more cognitive and invisible labor than I was used to. There was so much more stuff than I was used to. Like I was I had no autonomy in this like chaos. So there were so many contributing pieces, I think, to this Invisible Load series that I, I created, like just calling out all the things involved in one simple task, right? And I think that cleaning, I have this story about laundry wear. You also have a laundry story I was reading, but I had this story about laundry where I'm like walking past this pile of laundry. This It's quickly becoming a mountain over weeks and weeks with a family of five. And like, how come I can't just put this laundry away? Like, what's the problem here? It's an easy, it's a should, it's an easy task, right? And then stopping one day curiously and saying like, Well, no, it's because I have to turn over all the seasonal clothes. I have to get rid of all of the sizes that the kids are grown out of. And like by the time I was done, I had a whole list of what actually had to be done before I could even fold that laundry and put it away. And so your way of thinking about things being functional versus done, can we unpack that a little bit? Because that was a big reframe for me. I feel like done is always what we strive for, right? Or it feels that way to me at least.
1: So the whole sort of underpinning of my whole platform is this idea that care tasks are morally neutral. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to grasp because when you talk about something being done, that directly relates to this idea that care tasks, keeping up your home is a moral obligation. And that if you are unable to do it or you're not doing it, it must be a problem with your character you're lazy, you're irresponsible, you're a bad mom, you just can't hack it, you don't have work ethic, you're not smart enough, whatever the case may be. And so what comes with that is this idea of seeing care tasks as these black and white sort of binary states. They're either done or they're not done. Mm-hmm. And it feels as though you, you are supposed to get everything done and then hold it there at the done state. right? Like those are morally superior states of your home. And that is what leads to a lot of us sort of feeling like we just run around like we're in a pinball machine, constantly just serving the house, going from one task to the next task. And on the way to the task that needs to be done, you see nine other tasks that need to be done. And so you're stressed out by that. You're getting this done. And then, you know, that's not even counting the actual parenting that you have to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's just so much on your plate and then you feel like you're not doing any of it well and you feel like you're failing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for many of us, that feeling of failure actually brings on more paralysis, more overwhelm and makes it even more difficult to do those tasks. So the first shift that I like to take people through is going from this idea that these tasks need to be done and that they're morally charged tasks to the idea that they are morally neutral. They are functional and they are cyclical. So the point of doing laundry, like it's just a functional task and mm-hmm. the function is to get clean clothes to wear. That's it. Mm-hmm. And there are no rules to laundry. And if you choose to do laundry one way or the other, it's for functional reasons. So if I don't want my clothes to be pink, I should probably not put that red you know, washcloth in with my white clothes. But at the same time, Detergents and clothes and washers have come a long way. And unless I'm throwing in a bright red washcloth, I've never had my clothes bleed. So I don't sort my clothes. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. The rule about sorting has a functional reason. That functional reason doesn't apply to me. So I don't sort my clothes. I just put them all in, wash them all on cold. Mm. And so when we see those things as functional, we can kind of cut to. This idea that what corners can I cut to get this done and just have a functional home? It doesn't have to be impressive. It doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing. And when we move on to this idea that it's cyclical, that is also like a really big kind of bondage breaker. Mm -hmm. That it's not about the laundry being done or not done. It's the idea that laundry is a cyclical care task right? And so there's these various phases to laundry. You have clothes on your body. You have clothes on your floor. You have clothes in the hamper waiting to be washed. You have clothes on the washer. You have clothes in the washer waiting to go to the dryer, clothes being dried, clothes coming out of the dryer onto the floor being waited to be folded. Then they're in the folded in the basket. Then they're right. Like all of those phases Mm -hmm. are morally neutral. Mm -hmm. Like you're not a bad mom if laundry is currently existing in one of those phases except for the in the drawer, nicely put away phase.
0: Right. And like folded a particular way. in the. I feel like the standard always is creeping towards this more perfectionist ideal where sometimes it, even making it into the dresser might not feel enough because the dresser might feel like kind of unorganized. And so this, mm-hmm. I don't know, this idea of being perfect or trying to be the perfect mom or, or this, this, I feel like this is where intensive mothering intersects with some of these things because- The premise and idea behind intensive mothering is we give all of who we are to our children in our energy, our time, in as much like of our capacity as we can. And that's what makes us good. And so I see this even in the care tasks, right? Like my identity now becomes wrapped up in, and you have a chapter like that touches on this. My identity becomes wrapped up in how much I like martyr myself
1: in these tasks to an extent. And it really brings out any sort of hidden issues that we had before motherhood. Mm. Because a lot of times you find that I was finding a lot of identity in my job. I was getting a lot of validation from my job. I was, you know, really finding a lot of sense of personhood and worthiness in the promotions at my job. And none of those things are bad things. Mm -hmm. It's just that when we go through this transition of being a mom, We sometimes carry on or we transfer those goals or those val you know, those what we're looking for. And this is true if you're a working mom and it's extra true if you become a, you know, stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, the places that you're used to finding identity and validation aren't there anymore. And so you're trying to find it in the home, but you know, at work, you punch in, you punch out. There are a prescribed list of tasks. They get done and they're done. Mm -hmm. It's a wholly different thing to sort of run a family and a household, right? They're functional tasks, they're cyclical tasks, they're never-ending tasks, and there is no clocking out Mm -hmm. unless you yourself structure your life so that you have times that you're clocking out.
0: Right. Well, and then it becomes where we're always in service to the house. This is another really big mind shift that you took me through because we'll spend our weekends trying to like catch up and do all the things to reset so that we can go into Monday, you know, having a bit of a handle on things. And I stopped to ask myself, like, wait a minute, is this house serving me? Or am I tied up looking around at the beck and call of this house and the things that need to be tended to? Mm -hmm. And it was really like a transformative moment where it's like, wait a minute. Like, why? Why is it like this? You know?
1: I've changed so many things about my house since sort of replacing this message. Like, I don't exist to serve my house. My house exists to serve me. Mm-hmm. And I have changed so many things once I realized these tasks were just functional. Like, we started doing a family closet. Like, since my kids are two and four, like, I'm still assisting them with dressing. Mm. And it just hit me early on. Like, why am I going to three different closets to dress three different people? Mm-hmm. Why am I carrying laundry to three different closets, right? And so we moved everyone's clothes into our ensuite closet, because it was a big closet. And we put in these cube organizers and we put a little changing table on the top. And even though my kids don't like lay down to get changed, it became the place that they stand, right? So that I can hand them their clothes and, and whatever. And I stopped folding our clothes. So in our cube organizers, I started just putting baskets where it's like, here are the kids' pants, here are the kids' shirts, here are the kids' underwear, here are my pajamas, here are my shorts, here are my pants. And I hang a few shirts that I like don't want to be wrinkled. But I've gone from like avoiding that mountain of laundry because I can't bring myself to fold it to literally putting all the laundry away in like under five minutes. Mm-hmm. Because I can just sit on my bottom and like throw the pieces of clothes into whatever basket they belong to. And then close them. And now everybody knows where their clothes are. The clothes get done on a weekly basis. I don't have a lot of backlog of laundry that stresses me out. And it also freed up the closets in my children's room for extra storage that I was needing. Mm -hmm. So when I sort of take out our seasonal stuff, it's as simple as grabbing the coats on the hangers and taking them to my daughter's closet and hanging them up there. Mm -hmm. And so everything about that really shortened how we deal with laundry. And then I also added a laundry basket to every single room in the house, especially the living room and the kitchen. Cause I just started looking at like, where are my kids taking off their clothes? Yeah. And they are frequently coming downstairs in their pajamas. And then when they want to go do something, we're changing in the living room.
2: Mm-hmm. They're
1: also like, you know, maybe they're having a potty accident or they're going outside and playing in the dirt. Like there's so much happening. And I ended up putting like a tower shelf that holds baskets and the bottom basket is dirty laundry and the top basket is clean laundry. Like I just make sure that there's always extra clothes in the living room. Mm. And I instituted a dirty dish rack. So we have a washing machine, but I uh, a dishwasher, but I have a dish rack that is for dirty dishes. Mm-hmm. So if you use a dish during the day, you're only responsible for, you know, rinsing it off and sticking it on the dish rack. And this way, I have a clear sink. And at the end of the day, I realized that when it's time to load up the dishwasher or unload the dishwasher, I'm far less overwhelmed when those dirty dishes are organized than when they're piled up in the sink.
0: Hmm. Well, and you had mentioned in the book that it keeps your sink functional if you need mm-hmm. it because you don't know, have everything piled up and you can refill the water or whatever, put it back in the fridge and have access to that space. And one of the things that came from this was the idea that, organization is not always functional or something along Mm -hmm. those lines. And it takes me to the like home edit Marie (laughs) Kondo days where like, I don't even know how many clear bins I have in my house. I have to tell you. And in my pantry that require me to like refill and unload. And there's nothing about that system for me personally, that is functional at all, but it's quote unquote organized, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it really varies from person to person, which is why we have to ask ourselves what's functional for me, because like for a lot of people, you know, we just take these rules carte blanche and like, I love the home edit. Like I have the book and I think it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but I did the same thing that a lot of people did, which is just like, take it prescriptively and do all of those things. I did the same thing with Marie Kondo. And then it looks beautiful. And then I sort of feel like I'm like cosplaying as a person that has it all together. And then like, I don't end up keeping up the systems. Right. So and what's interesting is like, when I was doing everything, because it was organized or aesthetic, or it meant I had it together. When I started looking at the function, though, so like in my pantry, I do have like the refillable whatever's. But once I realized what the function was for me, like I was really connecting like, when I can see what I have, I'm more likely to eat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My kids get a better variety of food when I can easily see what I have. When I can see the levels going down, it's easier for me to know what I need to buy. Things aren't getting lost in the back of the pantry. But again, that is a functional reason I engage in that. Yeah. When on the other hand, like I tried to do like with my shoes in my closet, mm-hmm. like, oh, it'll be so great because I can see them all and I'll pick them all up. And I've tried all sorts of like, the fancy organization. And at the end of the day, honestly, what works for me is a basket. I have a basket in my closet and all of my shoes are all mixed up together in that basket. And mm-hmm. that is truly what works for me because it keeps my shoes off the ground and I don't have that many shoes. And if I want a pair of shoes, I'll just look for it.
0: <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this organization can even become a barrier or make it even harder to keep this space, Mm -hmm. you know, and it feels good because I feel like when I've organized it, oh, look at that state of doneness. It looks so great. But functionally, it does not serve our family of five. And then I'm just like annoyed that the system isn't being upkept. And really, (laughs) I'm the one that has to upkeep it. So like, I'm doing this to myself, you know. One of the things I've seen you comment on a lot, and I see people comment on your videos when you do your like hyperlapse cleanups of the space is the word like laziness often comes up or these like shameful words that play to you as a person. I don't even know how to describe it, but can we unpack and reframe laziness around these tasks? It's really important.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is that laziness is absolutely a character failing. Mm -hmm. Like it's a morally charged word. It is an accusation that something is morally, you know, corrupt about you, something is wrong about your character. Yeah. And the problem with laziness is that there is no objective measurement, right? Like you can call someone a liar and like they either lied or they didn't, right? Mm -hmm. They either cheated or they didn't, they stole or they didn't. And I mean, even sometimes with, you know, you see this sometimes with like selfishness where it's like, you might think someone's being selfish, but really they're not.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so laziness is one of those ones where it's like, there is no objective reason or objective like measure. Mm-hmm. And the other problem is that truthfully, I just don't think it exists. Like every time I've had a client come in that either they say they're lazy or maybe it's like a, a young adult and the parents are so, oh, they're so lazy. Once you actually get down to like unpacking the issues and the barriers this person has, it's never actually laziness. Right. Like sometimes somebody is struggling with motivation because of a mental health issue or executive dysfunction. Sometimes people are really struggling with task initiation. Sometimes people are just overwhelmed and don't know where to start, or they're really struggling with perfectionism. And so they either you know get kind of holed up on one project, doing it perfectly, so they can't get to anything else, or they just know they can't do it perfect. So they stand there paralyzed. And then sometimes people just have different priorities. Like the amount of especially young adults I see where the parents are like, they're lazy. And then you talk to them and it's like, it's not that they're lazy. They just like, don't value a clean room like you do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's fine. Like they're over here getting to the 1000th, you know, thing of a video game and spending hours online researching like the way to get around it. And like, they're putting in this like tremendous amount of work ethic Mm
2: -hmm. on these
1: projects that they care about. Mhm. And if they're not, if it's just sort of across the board and it's like, well, what mental health issue is happening here? And with moms, I always see where they're like, I just feel lazy. And when you like get into their life, they have like a degree, they have like multiple children, You know, someone would be like, well, I spent a lot of time like researching birth plans and hiring a doula and doing all these things. And like everything about their birth was like meticulously planned. Mm. And you're like, that doesn't sound like lazy. Like, I don't think laziness exists, but if it does, it's certainly not something that shows up in patchwork. Right. Like you're not lazy in one area. Right. And it's also just a way truthfully to not have to help people. Like it's a very capitalistic term. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if, if we talk about somebody who comes from money, who is very wealthy, who maybe has a lot of passive income, and they spend all day on a boat, no one's like, oh, he's so lazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Right? This
1: person has hired people to clean his house for him, hired, you know, he just goes out and no one's ever like, oh, he's so lazy. He doesn't even clean his own house. Right. It only refers to people who are engaging or not engaging in tasks that don't make profit.
0: Mm-hmm. I think about the moms that I work with and they're like, during nap time, I need a break for myself, but I can't because I need to be doing the high chair that's covered in sticky food. I need to be tackling the dishes that are in the sink. I need to be doing this and doing that. And so there is this real sense of like, I can't buy or carve out rest for myself because as you've reframed, I need to be serving this home, you know? Things
1: aren't done, right? Going back to that binary state, it's not done. Exactly. And some of that I think comes from when we were younger, when, you know, you get your chore list and you finish it. And when you finish it, you can go recreate or you can go rest. Right. And like, the problem is, is that care tasks don't end. And if you, as a mother, are waiting for everything in your home and with your kids to be done before you can rest, you will never rest. Yeah. The best thing I ever did for myself early, early on after having kids was calling nap time my time. Like I did not do any care tasks during nap time ever. And yes, that meant my house was a disaster. Yes, that meant that I was, you know, pulling clothes out of the clean pile or whatever. But at the end of the day, I had to recognize that I was incapable of being the respectful, kind, patient parent I wanted to be and keeping a house perfectly. And that the better value to my kids is a mom that is engaged and happy and has a sense of identity. That really is the best resource I can give my kids' mental health is my own mental health. Mm -hmm. And I simply would not have been able to have that if I hadn't used those nap times. Because again, especially when they're really young and they're doing night wakings and all, like there is no clocking out.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So like you have to carve those times. You have to prioritize that rest. And it's one of the reasons why like a lot of my parenting has overlap with like attachment parenting. But it is one of the reasons why I chose to sleep train my children. And I know that that's a very hot it, topic it is. with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But- I really sat down and when we talked about sort of not looking at my child as being the only person in the equation, right? like I am also in the equation. My other child is in the equation. My husband, like we have to decide not what's best for one person, but what's best for our family. And when we looked at, and we did research, we read the studies, we talked to people, but at the end of the day, we realized that I have to be able to have my children go to sleep in their own beds at seven o'clock. For me to have an evening in which I clock out and I don't do anything and I get some time to myself. Mm-hmm. Because when I wasn't getting that, I was literally coming apart. Like I was raging, I was depressed, I was not able to engage like appropriately with my kids at all. And it was just like, this is what I need to do. Same thing with happened with formula.
2: Mm-hmm. We had
1: formula babies, we sleep trained them. And a lot of other things we do, people would consider like way polar opposite the other way, right? Mm, Like, mm -hmm. but that's just, that's what we did.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's really important to center ourselves in our mental health because when we are well, our children are well as a result, right? Mm -hmm. And so to make some of these decisions for ourselves is actually really adaptive and really healthy But so much of motherhood and societal pressure says that we have to mother at a cost of ourselves always and sacrifice, even when it costs our well being. And that's where we get into so much anger and rage and burnout and all of these various pieces. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics. But taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com/momwell50 And use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the things I hear from clients is like, if somebody showed up right now, I would be mortified. Like my house is just a disaster. And I feel like there's an interesting piece here because I think that this plays to like the stereotypical gender roles. Because if somebody shows up at my house and my house is a mess, they're not going to look at my husband Mm -hmm. ever. They're going to look... At me. And so it comes back to that identity piece. How do you think we can break through some of that shame to see it a little bit differently or not feel like there's this like surveillance that's happening, ready to like swoop in at any moment and check in
1: on the state of our house, you know? Well, one thing I want to mention that was a really powerful moment for me around this issue exactly is that when I would talk about the challenges of motherhood and how difficult it was, especially early on, I would get a lot of comments about like, well, then why did you decide to have kids? Mm -hmm. sounds like you don't like being a mom. It's okay. Not everyone likes being a mom. And what I realized was it wasn't that I didn't want to be a mom Mm -hmm. or that I didn't want to have kids. I did want to have kids. But what I started saying was, it's that I just want to be a dad for a little while.
2: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: I want to be a dad. I want to have children, enjoy my children, engage my children. And then I want to be able to walk away and go do something about my own identity, my own sort of path in life, while my children are being taken care of by someone that I trust and love. Right. I want to come in and out, right? (laughs) Right. And people will hear that and go, oh, well, motherhood is forever. You can't be a mom and not be a mom. But when I started looking at other fathers and recognizing, I mean, my husband is a really involved dad, but he's also a corporate attorney. Right. Like his hours are probably
0: long. Right. And he
1: jokes all the time that like when he takes our girls out for a meal, that like he's never taken them out where somebody hasn't stopped and been like, you're such a good dad. Mm -hmm. And he'd Mm -hmm. be like, I'm literally feeding them. -hmm. I'm literally feeding them, right? But when I take our kids out to eat, my comments are, oh, don't you think her feet are going to be cold without socks on or some like BS tiny little snip, right? Or like control your kids or whatever. And just recognizing that when it comes to gender roles, you know, there really is this narrative that like I'm supposed to be sacrificing everything. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I would sacrifice everything for my children. I would stand in front of a bullet for my children. I would sacrifice every ounce of my own health and sanity if it meant my children were going to be happy. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If I sacrifice every ounce of my health and my sanity, it will not make my children happy. It will have an extremely detrimental effect on them. Mm -hmm. So this isn't an issue of... Righteousness. This isn't an issue of morality. This isn't like wanting to have time for yourself, space for yourself, isn't about you not being a good mom or not liking motherhood. It's that we currently exist in a society that is not very supportive for motherhood. And, you know, when we're sitting around and things are hard and we think about a friend coming over, it's really sad that. Instead of thinking, thank God, I'll have another adult to talk to. Thank goodness I could really use some support. What we have to think about is, oh my God, I'm going to be so humiliated because they're going to come in here, look at my house and see that I'm actually failing. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because
1: we think we're the only ones that are failing. And in reality, most parents have felt that at some point or another. Mm -hmm. And if they don't feel that, frankly, it's because they have a tremendous amount of support in their life. And that has nothing to do with them being a better mom than you. That just has to do with them having more privilege than you.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's why I think your hyperlapses of the cleaning up of the space is so counterculture because we only want to show what is deemed perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And so to see, like for moms to come to your page and see like, oh, wait, we have to do a tidy up of like the hurricane that went through our house at the end of the day too. Like I see myself in that. It's like, okay, now I have permission. Like, this is really what is actually happening in people's homes. They're really not living this curated life. They're living a messy and chaotic and beautiful and crazy life, right?
1: And, I mean, I think there's a lot of resources out there that are talking about this topic of, like, you deserve time, to You deserve an identity, too. But I think what happens is that as a mom, we're sitting in our homes going, okay, like even if I bite and I believe you, Mm. like there's still laundry to, like I still have to clothe my children.
0: Who's gonna do it kind of thing,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I can let go of perfection, that's fine. But like, even if you let go of perfection and reclaim your time, like at the end of the day, like there are things that I have to do for my children to meet their needs. And some people- don't have enough support to even get that done without completely sacrificing everything. And so I think one of the things I've tried to do with my channel and with my book is not just offer this inspirational message of like, you deserve rest, you know, it's morally neutral, but also talk about the very real tools that can make your house a functioning house, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. it's gotten a lot easier for me with some of these new, like, oh, well, I call them adaptive systems, like to have clean clothes, to have clean laundry, to have enough space to play, to not be getting sick. Nothing is unsanitary, but like, I want to do that in a way that gives me the time to be a whole person. Mm-hmm. And in
0: reframing this since reading your book, it's really helped me prioritize things as well. Because I'll look around and I want my house to be in a state of doneness before I roll into Monday. And there will be a few things on the floor in the foyer, but there's also a pile in the sink. And I'm like, if I do with the pile in the sink, I'll have a functional morning packing lunches in the morning. And so it helps me to put some order to like what is most important. I can step over shoes. We can get out of the house. It'll be fine. Their, Their shoes will be there again after school anyways, whatever. But I need access to the sink to prepare in the morning for lunches. Can you quickly take us through the five things tidying method? Because I was like, wait a minute. This is just like, this is so simple. And it helps give such
1: structure to a quick tidy up and clean up. So the five things tidying method is the way that I sort of keep myself from being overwhelmed. And I tidy really quickly. And the other benefit is that it works really well for children and how to teach them. Because I think a lot of us don't realize, like, we don't really... Oftentimes think about how to teach our children how to do things. We think saying clean up is teaching them, or like right. saying if you don't clean up, I'll punish you, like instituting structure and discipline. But the reality is, is like we need to break things down into tiny little pieces for children. And as somebody who is neurodivergent, I also need that.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: basically, anytime you look at a room and it just looks like you know a big bomb went off in there and it looks like there's thousands of pieces what you do is you remember that in any room, there's really only five things. There's Mm -hmm. trash, dishes, laundry, things that have a place that are out of place and things that don't have a place. Mm -hmm. And so when you take those categories, starting at the top and you get a trash bag and you just go around and throw away all the trash. And again, this is why it's easier for kids and and enlisting their help is, okay, everyone's going to find four pieces of trash. Okay, go, or Mm -hmm. we're going to race and find all the trash. And then I have a grabber, I bought my mom a grabber when she got cancer surgery. And then I was like, wait, this is the best thing ever. Why don't I have one of these? So I literally look like I'm like an inmate picking up garbage on the side of the road. I just walk around my house and pick it up with my grabber and stick it into my bag. So when I've gotten all the trash up, then I get all the dishes out of the house and just put them by the sink. And then I move on to getting all of the laundry up and I put it in the laundry room. And I try not to leave the space, right? So I'm just setting the garbage down. I'm just you know putting the laundry into the laundry basket so I'm not getting distracted and then I pick a small area and I put away anything that has a spot and I put in a you know a pile of the things that don't have a spot. So by the time I'm done with that, I have this pile of things that don't have a place to go. And this is really the pile that feels overwhelming. And so mm. saving that to last like really gets your space livable. And if you don't have the capacity to deal with it, you can put it in a box and move on that day or you can put on a Netflix show or you can decide maybe I can purge some of this. But that's kind of how I always move through those five things. And there's a big difference when we're talking about like a person, me as a person that deserves to function. That, you know, when I'm cleaning up because that's my duty, because I'll feel like a bad mom if I don't, that's that sacrificial mindset. Mm-hmm. But when I'm doing my like closing duties at night and I'm doing my four or five things to get my kitchen functional for the morning and then at, I'm sort of clocking out and resting. Those closing duties aren't being done from a sacrificial stance of, if I don't do these, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Those closing duties are done with this idea that I'm a person that deserves to function in the morning. So just like you said, I'm going to ignore the toys in the playroom today or the laundry because although there is a laundry pile, there's also clean laundry they can wear tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to need milk cups for the morning. I'm going to need a clear island to prepare food in the morning. I don't want to step on little bits of things and I'm going to need an empty trash can. So like doing just those like four or five things can make sure that when I wake up in the morning, I'm set up for success to not be as stressed in the morning, not be as frustrated in the morning and to be able to move, you know, with ease around my space to feed my family, to feed myself, to get ready in the morning. And so even that switch there where like, it's not always about finding time to do a hobby, right? It's not always about finding time Because some of us don't have the time or money to like go do something for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But even those mindset shifts of, okay, I can clean for three hours every night because I'll feel ashamed if I don't, or I can clean for 30 minutes focusing on what I need to function in the morning and then have a little time left over for me. It's huge. Just doing it out of a motive of self-kindness and self-care rather than pouring out sacrificial.
0: And then having a boundary around that or some containment, right? Like you had mentioned something as a motivation starter that I do to kind of hack my own brain. Like if we are Friday night, we know we're gonna like order takeout. And I'm like, okay, I got 20 minutes before this gets here. And when it arrives, I am not getting back up from what, you know, relaxing and what I've been doing. How much can I get done in those 20 minutes? And how can I reset the space? And so I find that using timers, racing the clock, racing the like Uber Eats or whatever helps me to reset the space. And then having a boundary where I do stop every night and I watch a show or I spend time chatting with my husband or whatever, because without that boundary, I would, could just hop from one thing to another thing around the house that air quotes needs to be done. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think also it's like not trying to push yourself into the box of like the stereotypical cleaning advice. Cause like the number one advice that comes up is, well, just clean as you go. So it's not as overwhelming. And for some people, that really does work. It does not work for me. I am more stressed out if I'm trying to clean every mess as it's made. So I just let go of ever being that person. And instead, I try to build in, you know, my little closing duties list at seven and then i build in maybe one major care task a day or i build in 2 hours of a what i call a reset on a sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and i don't worry about whether it looks like someone lives here with small children in the meantime and that's been really helpful and i think the other thing that can be really encouraging is so my my oldest daughter sleeps with me and it's something that i love like, again, I know that's not for everybody. Some people have very strict boundaries around their bed or whatever, and that's okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I just really like it. It's very intimate and close, and she likes it. She feels safe. Uh, my other one's still in a crib, so she's in her own room. But, like, she goes to bed at 7, 7.30, mm-hmm. and, you know, she knows that, like, that's the time.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: I've, like, always had a very kind but firm boundary, about like, you know, and some people might think this is me, but if she says like, I'm thirsty, <laughs> I'll say like, sorry, there's nothing more dehydrated <laughs> than
0: a child at bedtime. Like, no, yeah, yeah. you're fine. So,
1: yeah. So what I do is I tell them at dinner, please make sure that your bellies are full for bedtime. Mm-hmm. Please make sure that your bellies are full for bedtime. And then the other thing I started doing was it's just part of our routine. We make a water bottle before we go up to bed.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so... When I get the excuses, right? Of I am tired. I I want to get up. I want. I'm hungry. I'm that. We just. I just remind them, like, well, you are the one responsible for filling up your belly, and I'll help you remember tomorrow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, she tries to come downstairs. It's like, no, this is mommy's time. And when I tell her, like, I have to go, I'm honest with her, and I say, this is mommy's special time with daddy. And he does the same thing when he's putting the other one to bed. This is daddy's special time with mommy,
2: mm-hmm. and we're
1: gonna go take it. I'm gonna go eat my dinner, and. It's really important to model that for our children. It might feel like society's telling us we need to be sacrificial all the time, but nobody wants to raise a sacrificial child. It's kind of like
0: I, I talk about these patterns as like the cage we assemble around ourselves that we get stuck in. Mm-hmm. And like we don't want to look at our, our daughters to be trapped in these gendered norms where all they're doing is care tasks and and you know, serving your house day in and day out. That's not what we would want
1: for them. Yeah, you don't want them to be the friend in the friend group that's always just like doing everything for everyone else because that's how they feel their worthiness is. Mm, and mm-hmm. the thing is, is like if you're waiting until they're 13 to tell them that's not how they should be, that's not going to work. They are going to do what is modeled. And I really want my kids I, – I sound like I'm like harsh. I'm really not. Like I'm a super – Loving, connected, affectionate mom mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. But the reason I am able to be that is from these firm boundaries. Like I have to drink from my adult time so that I can overflow into my mother role, mm-hmm. right? Like I have to have that filled up. And so, you know, one of the things when I shifted actually from a stay at home mom to a work from home mom, from writing books and working on the platform, you know, we got a nanny to watch our children. And what I noticed was, um, and this is not right, wrong, good or bad. It was just an observation that I had that Mm -hmm. just kind of was interesting. When I'm with my kids all day long, bedtime was a super stressful thing. And I was always losing my patience and I end up snapping and I end up being really frustrated. And I would try over and over again, like not to be that way. Like I could fake it a little bit, but like I couldn't like make. And what I started noticing was that when I was getting done with work, and the nanny goes home. And then I'm like doing the afternoon. This Like by the time I got to bedtime, I was still feeling that like, I'm so excited to see my kids. Mm-hmm. And I've missed you today. And this is such a wonderful moment. And and all of a sudden I'm more patient. I'm more this and I'm more that. And I'm not suggesting anything prescriptive or superior about like working or not working or, or a nanny or any of that. I'm only saying that I made this connection that... Me being able to care for me or to have like an identity, a passion, a time in my life where I am something that I'm more than just the mother role Mm -hmm. actually allows me to step into my mother role with more authenticity, more warmth, more affection, more ability to be present and engaged. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think
1: that that, my kids can feel that.
0: Well, and I think that comes right back around full circle to when you're saying like, I like motherhood, but I'd like to be a dad for a day. And I think that when we look at at dads, they get to maintain their identity and become parents. They get to be off the clock and like hold on to pieces of themselves that they loved or even maybe hobbies or not, whatever, and also get all the benefits of parenting as well. And so being able to Set some limits around how we feel we have to serve our house, allowing ourselves time off the clock, some restorative time, some time to binge watch housewives, whatever it is, that's always my go-to. I'm a reality <laughs> TV junkie. And so like whatever that is helps you feel like you've maintained a bit of yourself in this parenting role that where it feels like the pressure is just let yourself completely fade into the background. And so I think it's a really inspirational message for those who are listening that having this time for yourself, having these boundaries, switching from this mindset of like, I have to constantly be in service of my house. And even I would go as far as to say constantly in service of my children, that you're prioritizing yourself and your needs is actually also prioritizing your family and your children's Mm -hmm. needs because when a mom is well, they are well also. So Thank you, Casey, so much for taking the time to be here today. You've got so much other goodness in this book that people can find. I really liked the tips around motivation and how to get started. And there's so many practical tips. So where can people find your book, How to Keep House While Drowning?
1: So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on IndieBound, Barnes & Noble. You can get it a lot of places. If you go to my website, which is strugglecare.com, There's a book tab where you can kind of scroll whether you're in, you know, the US or different countries, and you can see all the places that the book is offered. You can also from my website, check out my shop, I have some sort of supportive workbooks and things for the book, I have some free resources on there. And then you can also link over to my social channels. So I'm at Domestic Blisters on TikTok, and Struggle Care on Instagram. Mm hmm. And I love your TikTok. I've followed it for
0: ages. I would encourage anyone. I suspect you've probably come across Casey in your 40 page before, but if you have not, <laughs> go seek her out. And all of this will be linked in the show notes for you to easily navigate to. Thank you so much, Casey, for your time today. Thank you. Wasn't that such an amazing interview with Casey? I really love the reframes around having your house serve you. I'm focusing on it being functional. Since doing this interview, I've implemented so many of Casey's skills and it has been so helpful in prioritizing and keeping a functional space for myself and my family. Whenever I talk about care tasks and cleanup at home and the mental load, often this can be followed by some really frustrated conversations about partners and resentment and how to have conversations to redistribute the load in a way that feels more fair. Dr. Oshirina Reem's Psyched Mummy and I have our Reconnect Bundle, which is two workshops focused on resentment and rebuilding intimacy and connection. We go over some ways to start having these conversations with your partner, and we encourage you and your partner to take these workshops in together so that they're a conversation starter and you can both be on the same page. To learn more about our Reconnect Bundle, head to happyasamother.co slash reconnect. That's happyasamother.co slash reconnect. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are being joined once again by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Dr. Becky is joining us to help us understand what it means to be good inside, to see ourselves as good and our children as good, and how that shapes our approach to parenting. You do not want to miss this episode. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know keep showing up, you're doing an amazing job.